Let's take our Bibles and let's head to 1 Samuel for our study this morning about somebody who wanted to be faithful, but he battled, he struggled. 1 Samuel chapter 27, if you would, this morning. If you're joining with us and haven't been here for recent times, we are in a series that is on the life of David and talking about his experiences and what he went through. And so what we want to be talking about this morning is in a lesson about David's experiences and the struggles that he had at one point in his life. Let me see if I can illustrate this way. Some things we plan for, we expect to be working a certain way, and they don't. Here back in 2001, they had developed this robotic type of a system that would be able to go up into the, uh, into the space areas where the satellites were, and this robotic self-containing system called DART, or Demonstration of Autonomous Rendezvous Technology, would get up there and it would be able to repair any broken satellite. They finally launched it in 2005, and as it was going on its maiden trip to go up there and repair a major, major uh, network satellite, something happened in its propulsion system and it crashed right into that communication satellite and destroyed it. It wasn't what they planned. There was a situation in, in California in 2013, Santa Rosa had fires. You can see the devastation on the bottom picture. And so several neighborhoods were, bur- were burnt out. Well, there was one business that remained at one restaurant open in that area, and it was this one restaurant, uh, Carl's Jr., and so the firefighters were fighting, and at one moment they said that we need to eat, and so an order was made. Several of the firefighters went to order 165 hamburgers to be made very quickly. Well, there that group was working working in that restaurant, and something that was, something happened that wasn't planned, not expected. They were cooking so fast that all of a sudden the vents caught on fire. For the firemen who were there, they had to put out a $75,000 fire. It happens that sometimes things that we don't expect, we don't plan, they, they go awry. For all the effort and for all the work that we put into it, and all of a sudden, it's just a disappointment. That's what happened to David. That is David. David, as we've talked about, is just this man of God, this young fella who's got a heart after God's own heart. He's anointed to be the future king of Israel. He's the hero who defeated Goliath. They sing his praises. You have killed your 10,000 of the Philistine, the enemies. He is called later on in Psalms, the apple of God's eye. He is the great psalmist, and yet there's a time in his life where he deserts God and deserts Israel totally. The story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 27. In 1 Samuel 27, we read, just starting off the chapter, where it says in verse 1, And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. In order to understand what's happening in David's life, we got to back up. And what I'm going to do for the sake of your notes this morning, tell a story, and I'm just going to give you segments of it with all Ds heading up each paragraph. We're talking about David's despair, David's discouragement in your notes. And we have to back up and understand what has happened prior to chapter 27. David had those great victories over Goliath and over the Philistines. We know about those stories. But right after that, Saul, king of the Jews, he became jealous of David. We read about that. We studied that. How he became so jealous that he determined that he would kill David. And he went after David personally. Then he asked his family to do it. Then he asked soldiers to kill David. And he had to escape. And so there's a time and a period of David's life that lasts for about 10 to 15 years that David is on the run. He is a refugee. He is on the lam. He's a criminal. 
He's an outlaw in King Saul's mind. And Saul is seeking after him continually, the passage says, in order to seek his life. Every day David is living with having to run, having to get away. And so we came last week to a story that as David is fleeing, Saul gets close to him. Saul gets so close that Saul in his chasing ends up having to go into a cave to relieve himself. David is hiding in that cave. And David has a chance to kill Saul. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He's not going to take revenge. He maintains control despite his discouragement and the challenges. And when that's done, and David, Saul leaves the cave, David comes out and yells afterwards and says, I could have killed you. Why'd you. Why are you chasing me? Saul, it says in that passage, that he basically says, I'm wrong. You're right. And it says that Saul makes comment, you shall be king one day. And Saul went home. Stop chasing David. After all this time. But then we come to chapter 26. It is weeks later, months later, Saul is out on the hunt again. Saul broke his word. Saul comes chasing after David. As he's chasing after David, he comes to a point where Saul is once again, he is in David's hands. He's sound asleep. His soldiers are there at the bottom of a hill. They're resting after a long day of chasing. David and one of his, one of his closest friends goes down into the encampment. And they walk through the encampment and they get right next to Saul. Nobody wakes up. Nobody hears them at all because the passage says the Lord caused a deep sleep upon Saul and all of his men. And David's friend raises his spear and says, I can, I can put him through. With just one, one thrust, he says, he won't get off the ground. I'll pin him to the ground. David says, you can't. You can't do that. Despite our running from him, him seeking after my life, no revenge. No. But David says, let's take something. They take Saul's personal spear. They take Saul's canteen and they leave. They go up on top of the hill and David wakes up the entire group of Saul's soldiers and followers. And he talks to them and he he tells them that he was in the camp and he shows the spear in the canteen. And they realize David could have killed Saul, but David didn't do it. It is at that moment that David, uh, David uh, has made an impact on Saul once again. And we read in chapter 26 the words of King Saul. They are very important. Go back to chapter 26, down in verse 21, where he says, Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will do you no harm, because my, my soul was precious in your eyes this day. I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. Go down towards the end of the passage, and you read at the last verse, then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. You shall both do great things. You also shall still prevail. And then it says, Saul went his way, and David went his way. Finally, finally, after 13 years, the chase is finally over. The battle, the hiding, the fearfulness for his life, it's all done. Or was it? We read in chapter 27, we read what the passage that I didn't continue in. I just read the first part. Look at the second part of verse 1. And so David said, I should escape into the, land, into the land of the Philistines, and Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in any coast of Israel. He says, I'm going to go. And we read further in the passage, down in verse 4, it was told Saul that David had fled to the Philistines, and he sought him no more again. You know what that implies? Saul started chasing him. 
Saul had said, I'm not going to do it, but Saul had started chasing him again. And David was now at the point after all these years, after twice hearing from Saul saying, I'm wrong, I'm not going to harm you. Saul has come out again, and he's chasing him day after day. David just said, that's it. That's it. I'm, dis- I'm going to be killed. I'm so discouraged by this. I am so frustrated. This guy's going to kill me. He's not going to give up. It's not going to change. And so David felt absolutely defeated. David feels threatened. And the passage says, Saul finally stopped chasing him when he went to the Philistines. But he was chasing him up to that point. Here he is. This idea of this man of God becomes so discouraged, so disheartened, that he just says, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to die. At any moment, I'm going to die because of what Saul's been doing. The threats, the mistreatment. He feels the pressure of running for 13 years. No home, no house, not able to eat regular meals, having to beg from others to keep him. And then he has 600 men that have joined him and their families. David's got the pressure of providing for them. David's got the pressure of of seeing these kids go hungry sometimes and has to go to the neighbors and ask for food. David's just wore out. He's tired of leading. He's tired of protecting. He's tired of running. And he comes to a point where he says, I am in such despair that he opens up to his being deceived, number two. But before I go any further, let me just pause for a second and jump down to the bottom of your notes. Let me make an observation that is true. That even God's people, good people, people who love the Lord, they will get pummeled by trials. They will have attacks that will come and sometimes over and over and over again. They will be individuals who love the Lord, who serve the Lord, and yet there's difficulties. Don't be mistaken. Problems don't just happen to the ungodly. They happen to the godly as well. They happen to individuals who surrender their lives. They might face persecutions. They might face prison. They might face attacks from other Christians. Paul had all of those experiences as a devoted apostle. You will have experiences like that too. James even writes, when you fall into a variety of temptations, they're going to happen. And they're going to happen whether they be big or whether they be small, and they're going to take their toll. You're going to face individual situations and maybe group situations that they don't go away after a week. The, the pressure of somebody attacking you, somebody, uh, somebody hurting you, the pressure of somebody seeking after you, betraying you, the pressure of, of bills and mounting or illnesses, these trials don't go away. They, they sometimes last. They may come from some person, but rest assured, Satan is definitely after you. You who are children of God, you who are born again, the passage makes it clear we will have wrestling matches with Satan and his demons. They will attack. They are trying to destroy us. They want to ruin the work of God by ruining you so that you give up and your family sees it's not worth following Christ. It's going to happen. There are going to be these battles and you will face some real discouragements at time. Moments of discouragement. Moments of despair. Satan's good at this. There's an old parable that is told about Satan and how he is, is so good on discouraging people. And the way that the author wrote this, he wrote it about the idea that Satan one day was selling some of his tools that he uses. He was selling them off to the highest bidder of different demonic forces. And he had one there that was off to the side and it had the highest price tag, but it was all beaten up. 
And it was all, it, it was looking like it had been used time and time again. And so this conversation goes between another imp, devil, and Satan. It says, what's the name of that little tool? He says, that's discouragement. Why is it so high-priced? That's because it's the most useful tool I've ever used to tempt people. I can use it to pry open and get into people's hearts when the other tools have failed. And once I get inside, I can just about make the person think whatever I want them to think. You can see it is well-worn because I've used it on almost everyone at one time or another, especially the strongest Christians. And most of them have no idea discouragement belongs to me. The parable ends with this line, the, never, the devil never did sell that tool that day, and he is still using it today. It is true. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You are facing moments and challenges that are very discouraging. Don't be like David. David opened himself up to discouragement that led him to deception. I say that because what happens in the passage, it says that David said in his heart, I shall now perish. My friend, that's not true. There was no way David was going to perish, but he felt like it. But he wasn't going to. How do we know that? He hadn't been king yet. God had said, God had said to him, you will be the king. David is yet to get on the throne. But God said, you're going to be the king. Therefore, he's going to survive Saul. He will not perish at the hand of Saul. It can't happen. It won't happen. David, in fact, had several of his friends try to reassure him and tell him, you would be king. Do you remember Jonathan told him, you will be king in place of my father? Remember last week, Abigail said, you will be king. Remember me when you come into your power? Saul had even said, we read it, that Saul had said that you will be king one day. And you're going, then when you're king, don't take revenge on all my family. But David didn't listen to any of it. David didn't listen to them. David didn't listen to the problems, his fears, and his, his, his apprehensions, his discouragement took over. And he wasn't thinking clearly. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a point where the pressures of life have got you thinking the bills are so overwhelming that you forget the promises of God that I will supply your needs? Have you ever, have you ever as a parent... You've been working hard, training and teaching and, and trying to direct. And it seems like it's not working. It seems like they're not listening. But the Word of God says, train up the child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You forget God's promises. You ever get so discouraged in dealing with family relationships, people relationships? Some people get so discouraged in their marital relationships that they feel like bailing. And they forget, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. And they don't want to listen even to somebody else's encouragement because they're so discouraged. And their heart takes over. Their discouragement takes over. And they fall into a deception. Can I make some, some practical suggestions to you? When you are really, really down, don't make major decisions. Just don't. Don't make a major decision about your family, your marriage. Don't make a major financial decision. Wait. Get some time and perspective. Remember. Remember what the Bible says. Our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? One of the, one of the greatest culprits in deceiving us is us. Is ourselves. 
We quickly deceive ourselves. Can I, can I illustrate what I mean by that? People deceive themselves on a spiritual plane all the time. There are people that say this, I am not that bad. In fact, I think I'm good enough to get into heaven on my own. Is that true? Do people think that? The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? They're forgetting what God says. For God says that there is how many righteous? None righteous. No, not. For all have sin and come short of the glory of God. Does this ever happen? People get the attitude, I'm right. If you don't agree with me, you're wrong. And deceive themselves into thinking that they know everything. People deceive themselves this way. And maybe some of you did this week. I don't need to pray today. I'm good enough. I don't need to read my Bible. I'm strong enough. Besides, Pastor Bergeroff will preach and give me so much Bible, it would be worth seven days. We deceive ourselves. We, we deceive ourselves in thinking, you know, the idea that if there's an offense between somebody, they should make the first move. But the Bible says that if you have ought or your brother hath ought against you, go and reconcile. We deceive ourselves at times to think it's okay to dabble in a little sin. A little lying here is okay. A little disobedience here is okay. A little cheating here isn't that bad. Isn't that what Lot said when he says it's not a bad situation, just it's a little spot, Sodom and Gomorrah. I won't go far from the Lord. We deceive ourselves in thinking this, okay? I can get away with doing wrong. Nobody knows what I'm watching on my computer, Nobody knows the words I use when, when I'm with unsaved people. Nobody knows the, the dirty stories I say because I'm not around others who would find out and they don't, those ones I'm around, they don't care. Nobody knows about how my heart is so angry or gossiping or saying things. We deceive ourselves. We think we're getting away with it. We deceive ourselves sometimes by saying, we can get a divorce and the kids will be the better for it. How many times have you heard people say that? That the divorce is the best thing because then we'll finally find peace. Friend, that's just not true from the Word of God. The Word of God teaches that, you know, this idea that if I lie, if I cheat, if I, if I do something immoral or ungodly, it'll work out better in the long run. And, and I'll solve my problems. That's exactly what David thought. David deceived himself. David's all of a sudden making these terrible choices you and I, when we're getting in those spots where all of a sudden we're so discouraged and we're starting to think wrong, you need to time out. God, please encourage my heart. Please, God, give me direction. You need those moments to get closer to the Lord than ever before. You say, but I don't hear him. He seems like there's a, there's the, he's closed the doors. Stay there. Wait upon the Lord. Don't run. Don't desert. David he defects. He gets deceived to the point that he says, it is better for me to go to the Philistines. If I go to the Philistines, Saul will leave me alone. It's a lie. It's a lie. He shouldn't be going to the, to the Philistines. But what does he do? He goes. Now, before he def- we talk about his defection to the Philistines, in verses 3 and 4, let me just make this observation. He defected from God. He deserted the Lord. David's defection. Now, how do I know that? Why do I say he defected from the Lord? There is something not in these verses. 
You look at verse 1, you look at verse 2, where David is talking to himself about how this is so devastating. I'm going to die. Saul won't leave me alone. I've got to go to the Philistines. Otherwise, he's going to kill me. What is absent? He never prays. He never prays. In the past, he has frequently sought the Lord's direction. In the past, when he's been all of a sudden up against a wall, he has asked for the uh, ephod to be brought and see, God, what should I do here? What should we do? And when they attacked, and they, they were talking about the city of Keilah, whether they should attack, bring the ephod, give me direction. There is none of that. Weeks ago, we talked about how in Psalms he writes when he is facing Doag, when he is all of a sudden in the midst of, uh, of the caves, he writes the Psalms, I'm, tr- I'm trusting God. Lord, you are, my, you are my defense. And he keeps on giving. And we talked about it. How he gave songs of trust in the middle of his trials. And we asked you at the end of that sermon, what songs will you sing this week? And David was filled with the... You want to know something? As you look at all these different prayers and instances where David up to this point has inquired of the Lord, has prayed to the Lord, he doesn't do it now. In fact, in fact, not, not only does he not pray, there is something else missing during this period of time in his life. This period that he deserts and goes to the Philistines. There's not a single psalm written during that time period. Not a single one. All the other times in the story, there's psalms that you can find that relate, but not during his, his, his years of, year of defection. So discouraged, he allowed himself to deceive himself. And now he defects. He leaves off talking to the Lord. He leaves off having time with the Lord on a daily basis, which you would never do, right? We would never get so discouraged that we forget reading our Bibles. Well, David did. And David then all of a sudden defects from the people. You read in this story, which is an absolutely amazing thought, where it says that if I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines, we read verse 2, he arose, he passed with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the king of Gath. And David dwelt with Achish at Gath. He and his, his men, every man from his, with his household, even David with his wives, and list them. And then we read a little bit further that he was told Saul, and then finally Saul stops chasing him. And David, it says at the end of verse 7, that he spent time in the country of the Philistines for a year and four months. Jews were not supposed to be leaving the promised land. They are not supposed to be joining the Philistines. The Philistines are enemies. In fact, think this through. David goes to Gath, the city of Gath, King Achish one of the main leaders of the Philistines. Just three weeks ago, we talked about this. When David went to Gath, it was amazing because Gath was the hometown of Goliath. And David had killed Goliath. And when David was at Gath the last time, all of a sudden, it was right at the beginning of that 13-year period of running in the wilderness. At that time, he had just left Saul. And when he got to Gath, do you remember what happened? All of a sudden, when he comes to the city of Gath, where he's seeking refuge, the leaders, the nobles of Gath, bring him before the king, and they said, this is the guy that killed Goliath. This is the guy they sing the songs about killing 10,000 Philistines. And David realized, bad move, bad move. I'm going to, these guys could kill me. And so what did David do to get out of there? Anybody remember? What? He acted crazy. He all of a sudden feigned like he was insane. And King Gath says, I got nothing to do with somebody who's insane. 
just get him out of here. Now, 13 years later, he goes back to that same spot. What does he think he's going to do? Why is he joining those people? And the passage says that he says to King Achish, look at, I didn't read it, in verse 5, if I have found grace in your eyes, let, me give a, let them give me a place in the, some town in the country that I may dwell. For why would thy servant dwell in the royal city with you? Please, let me be a vassal. Let me oversee a little town or some other territory, and I'll work for you. And so David makes the comment as we're, we're, we're going through the story and we, we read how all of a sudden Achish believes David this time. I, by the way, I, I, this is me. King Achish was fooled the last time David was here. Would you trust David? You wouldn't think so. But look what happens at the end of the story, at the end of the chapter. Achish believed David and said about David, He has made his people Israel to abhor him. Therefore he shall be my servant, how long? Forever. Forever. And in fact, when the next chapter starts off talking about they're going to battle, David is appointed according to Achish. Achish says to him in chapter 28, verse 2, I will make you the keeper of my head forever. That means, David, you and your soldiers will be my personal bodyguard. That's how tight he gets with Achish. That's how close he's associated. In fact, when the chapter 28, as it unfolds, the story unfolds, David is with Achish's army. And as they are going into battle against the Jews, the Achish is told, you can't have David with you. The other kings in, in the alliance say, you've got to get rid of David. And when Achish goes back to David and says, hey David, we'll stay friends, but you can't come to battle with me. You can't go to war with me. Go to chapter 29 and watch David's response, verse 8. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What hast thou found in me, your servant, so long as I have been with you unto this day, that I might not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King of the Philistines? I don't get it. I don't get it, David. David, you defect and join the enemy. I don't, I don't understand it. It, 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 it. It's absolutely amazing. So, David says, will you give me a city? He gives him the city of Ziklag. If you go back into chapter 27, it talks about how he gave him Ziklag, which was a Jewish city that the Philistines had conquered but not, not inhabited. And, but it's under their control. There's some Jews there, Philistines in the neighborhood. And David has said, he, he says, you can go have the city. None of us wanted it. It's an old Jewish city. You can have it. So David, it says, goes and moves into Ziklag. He and all of his men. By the way, when you go and defect, when you all of a sudden start getting discouraged and you get deceived and you start getting into this moment where you desert, you usually don't go alone. You usually take others with you. And David took 600 men and their families who were looking up to him. And there they are. They go and live there for the 16 months. Amazing. It's an amazing story. And I ask this question. Why didn't David recognize the, the bad, bad choices he was making. Why didn't he stop and say, I'm yoked up with the Philistines. I've joined Philistine armies. I, I, I'm going to be fighting against Jews. Why didn't he recognize it? Isn't this interesting? That often when people get away from the Lord, they start justifying it by circumstances and results. 
Because all of a sudden, life became profitable for David. What I mean by that is this. All of a sudden, Saul's no longer chasing me. It must be God's will. Saul's, Saul's done with me. In fact, I'm being accepted. I've been rejected by my own king. I'm being accepted by an ungodly king. This must be what God wants. Uh, the thought that finally I have a house. I've been living in the wilderness on the lamb in caves with my family for 13 years. Now we get a house. Now we get some security. Now all of a sudden we can get some possessions. We can provide for ourselves. We'll go out and we'll do some raiding and different things and we'll provide for ourselves instead of having to go and beg from others. And so David didn't see all the bad that was happening. He was blinded by circumstances that he thought were working in his favor. By the way, can I make this observation? There is pleasure in sin. There is pleasure in doing wrong for a season. For a season. It doesn't really last. But people will often look and say, hey, I made this choice. I made this decision. I'm all of a sudden doing something. Hey, I'm lying at work. I'm cheating on, and I'm making more money than ever. So God must be in it. No. It's not going to last. Remember the word of God. Remember what God has said. Be sure your sin will find you out. You might get away. Nobody may see for a while, but it's going to be found out. Do you remember this promise that's given by God in Proverbs? The way of the transgressor is hard. It won't last. The pleasure, the profit, the houses, they aren't going to last, David. The benefits that you think that, that, are, that are showing God's approval, they're not going to remain. That leads us into the next spot, David's decline. David doesn't respond. He's, he's got his feet into the, into the waters and he's starting to then wade deeper and deeper with the Philistines. So he's got Ziklag, and he's, he's there in Ziklag, and he's got control of Ziklag, and things are going good. So what he does in the chapter, if we're back again in chapter 27, it says, David and his men, verse 8, invaded the Gesherites, the Gezrites, and the Amalekites. I don't know who the Gesherites are. The Gezerites are mentioned elsewhere in Scripture as allies, uh, as individuals that show up in one passage of Scripture back in Judges. The, the uh, Amalekites, we know who they are. Okay, they're an ancient enemy of the Jews. For those nations were of old, the inhabitants of the land, as go south even unto the land of, uh, the land of Egypt. Verse 9, David smote the land and left neither man nor woman alive, but he took away their sheep, their oxen, the asses, the camels, and all their clothes, and returning came to Achish. So now David's providing for himself. How's he doing it? By raiding these people. He's supporting them. And it seems to be okay in David's mind that he's doing this, but the part that absolutely just causes me pause is David is practicing genocide. Now I know, and you know, that at times in the book of Joshua and Judges, when they first went into the land, that was approved. We know that. We know there was a time for that. God never told David to wipe these people out to the very last one. Not these individuals at this moment. He's not seeking the Lord's direction at this moment, but he's wiping out entire towns. Why is he doing it? Well, what happens is he doesn't want any of those people to go back to Achish. Apparently they must be allies with the Philistines. And so he's wiping out everyone. So nobody knows what he's doing. 
He's covering his tracks. Now, there are some commentators that view it a little bit different than I'm viewing it. They view this as all very exemplary. They view this as very commendable for David, that David is fighting this fifth column, that David is all of a sudden doing this underground. But as I read his words and where he argues about going into battle, it's like David's trying to play both sides of the fence. You don't know whose side David's on. At one moment, I'm going to help the Jews by killing their, their enemies. The other moment, I'm going to work for Achash. Which one is it? Which one is it? And so I, he strikes me as believers who try to live in both worlds. And it is, you, you just can't do it. And what, what I can't help but remember is David is told you will never build the temple because you shed blood. Innocent blood of, of children of ladies, in your raids, it cost David later on. And so David has this point where all of a sudden he's involved with this game of duplicity. He's out, he's attacking, he's conniving, he's trying to manipulate situations, keep it from Akesh, trying to, trying to just keep everything under control. Trying to, to juggle all these different balls at one time. But they're going to come crashing down. And so what happens is one time Akesh says to him, where did all this stuff come from? Where did all this come from? So Akesh must, maybe he's visiting Ziklag, we don't know. But he sees all of this stuff that David has, this bounty that he's got from his raids. And David responds. It says in, uh, in the verse 10, David said, against the south of Judah, against the south of the Jeremelites, against the south of the Kenites, who are those people? Who's he saying he's attacking? I'm attacking Jews. I'm going after the Jews and their allies. If you back up in the story that there, there's an alliance between Israel and the Kenites. And so David is presenting that, that I am going against the Jews. And so Achish believes him. He believed, verse 12, he believes everything that David said. In fact, when, when they go to the battle later on and the other kings say, we don't trust David, he makes this comment in chapter 29, verse 3. Achish says about David, is not this David the servant of Saul, etc., etc.? And he says, he has been with me all these years and I have found no fault in him since the day that he deserted, literally, fell upon me. And so here he's got this, this going on. You got to stop. You got to stop and just say, does this ever happen in modern days? Do Christians ever stop walking from, with the Lord? Do, do Christians ever try living in two opposing worlds? They live in the world on the weekdays and they try to live in the Christian world on Sundays. And, and they try to have lingo that these people will like and have lingo that these people will like. And all of a sudden they're seeking. They, they want to be accepted. And so I want to get security and money is an acceptance. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but they're going to the wrong place. It's not the Lord, it's the world. And as a result, all of a sudden, they look and they say, hey, my lack of, my lack of ethics. I'm, I'm getting ahead. I'm getting promoted. My, my lack of morality. This girl is mine. You know, she likes me or the guy. I'm not saying guy on guy. Absolutely. That, that, we got to clarify. Isn't that terrible? I've got to clarify that anymore. Some girl saying that about a guy. The, the thought that all of a sudden, 
Christians will come to the point where they stoop to be fitting into the world because they want acceptance. I will cuss and curse like everybody else. I'll tell the dirty stories. I'll drop my morality in dating. I'll I'll do the drinking and the carrying on like everybody else in the bar hopping. I'm all of a sudden at work, I'm going to get involved with deception, with lying, conniving, and manipulating. It's just so I fit in with the crowd. And David all of a sudden, he's going to learn the hard way. God won't let that happen long term. Again, there's pleasure in sin for a season. Be sure your sin will find you out. That leads us to David's dilemma. In the story, what happens is the Philistines in chapter 28, they're going to war. They finally decide, let's go back and let's attack Israel once again. Haven't had a big battle since Goliath. So we're going to have a massive invasion of the Israelites. Now the reason they do it, and this is very, very interesting, Saul is old. King Saul is old. He's in his latter, latter, this is going to be his last battle anyway. Saul is at the end of his 40 years, and he's weak. One of the reasons he's weak is many of the soldiers of Saul are deserting him. We read in the Chronicles that they go from, from the land of Saul, they are fleeing to David. David's 600 is increasing. And he's gathering people around about him. In fact, in chapter 16 of our chapter 12 of 1 Chronicles, you'll read an account in like verse 15, 16 of people swimming over the flooded Jordan to get to David, that they want to get away from Saul. And so David's all of a sudden, he's, he's there, he's got these people, and Achish says, we're going for an invasion. You're going to be the keeper of my head, my royal bodyguard, so come with me. And so David now is caught. He's all of a sudden marching with the Philistines. And he's, he's, the story goes that he's with Achish at the rear of Achish's army. So he's in this prominent position. The other Philistine leaders, they say, when they see David, they say, we don't trust him. He used, and, and Achish says, he's been, here thir- he's been here for a year. He's been here for a year. He's proven himself loyal. He, he's on our side. And they say, we don't trust him. In the middle of the battle, he'll turn on us. We've got to get rid of him. Achish, you can't go to war unless you get rid of David. So Achish has to go back. He has to say, David, you, you got to get out of here. you got to go home. I relieve you of responsibilities. Go back to Ziklag. And so what happens is David argues with him. I already read it. I don't know what's going on here. Is David serious? Is David acting? It just strikes me that David is compromised so much that he's saying some really stupid stuff. And his rationale, his thinking is skewered. By the way, does that ever happen to believers that their logic, their thinking gets skewered? That all of a sudden they start reasoning things that aren't true? In the story, as it finds out, God intervenes. God God intervened in this situation. I think it was the grace of God moving and manipulating behind the scenes to keep David from going to war. That God intervened and God, God got David out of a really bad, bad spot. That David didn't have to get into the battle. All of a sudden God gets him out of there. And I, and I appreciate the grace of God that at times leads us not into temptation. That God is so gracious that way. Well, anyway, it leads to David's defeat. David's discipline. What happens is David and his men have to go home. And that's where we pick up in the story. Down in verse 30, they're, they're headed for home. And it came to pass when David and his men were come on the third day to Ziklag. Uh-oh. 
The Amalekites had invaded Ziklag. They had smitten Ziklag. They burned it with fire. They had taken the woman captives that were therein. They slew not any, either the great or the small ladies or kids, uh, carried them all away and went on their way. And David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons, their daughters were taken captives. And David and the people that were with him, they lifted up their voice, they wept until they could cry no, no more. David, his two wives were taken. And it mentions their names. And David was greatly distressed. Uh-oh, uh-oh, I blew it big time. And all of a sudden his city, his family, everything's gone. It's amazing. He lost acceptance with the Philistines. He no longer has a people group. He's deserted from the Jews. The Philistines don't want anything to do with him. And now his house has been burnt. His possessions that he thought were secure, they're gone. And even his friends turn on him. Did you see that in the passage? It says where David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved every man for his sons and his daughters. David's at the bottom. David has, he's lost everything. And, and make the observation that when believers get away from the Lord and they desert the Lord, you may end up like the prodigal son with nothing. With nothing. That God has to bring you so low, he finally brings David to the bottom, to the end. Where David is all of a sudden, he's lost everything. The people that he secretly attacked, they take revenge. Do you, you, you want to put a note here? They didn't treat David's families the way David's fa- David treated their families. Do you remember what David did to their families? Their kids, their wives? He wiped them out. They didn't do it to David. There's a grace here. But then all of a sudden, David's own men, they turn on him. That brings us to the final thought. David's deliverance. David's deliverance. It's at the end of verse 6. At the end of verse 6, we read these words. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The idea here is literally this. In the Hebrew, he found himself strengthened in the Lord. All of a sudden, David finally turns to the Lord. He finally runs home to his rich, wealthy father after being in the pigsty for so long. All of a sudden, David's there. He turns after 14 months. He turns to the Lord. And as soon as he turns to the Lord, the next verse says he immediately asks the high priest, bring the ephod. Get the ephod. I need to know what God wants me to do. When he turns back to the Lord, he immediately goes to the word of the Lord. And God answers him. God tells him, go. Everything will be okay. Go get your wife. Go get your kids. You're going to defeat the Amalekites. Despite all your discouragement, it's going to work out. David repents and turns to the Lord. Is the lesson clear? If you're walked away from the Lord because of discouragement, because of other people, because of trials and tribulations, and if you've turned to the world and said, I'm going I'm to just drop my, my standard. I'm, I'm not going to follow the Lord anymore. I'm just going to give up. And you go and you say, hey, I found some friends and I found this and I found that. After a while, if you're going elsewhere than the Lord, all those things will dry up. And you're going to end up coming back to the one sure thing, the one, the one person who is a rock. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to turn to him. You need to go back to him. He's the one that you, that you, that you repent and turn to. And God responded to David. 
For all of what David has done, God forgives him. He strengthened him. He spoke to him. What a beautiful picture. We made in our applications one already. We said this, you're going to be pummeled by trials. But let's make a second one. Even God's people can fall into really bad situations if they don't stay close to the Lord. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. All of a sudden, we can become like righteous Lot. We can get caught into the Sodom and Gomorrah. We can be staying there and living there when we ought not. And we lose it all. Be careful. Be careful. There's, you know, if, if, your, if your foundation is not on the Lord, things are going to... Remember I told you about one space capsule that they made that crashed? Well, here's another one. Then in 2003, they made this other space capsule that would cost just, a, just not much money, $239 million. They're testing it at the Lockheed headquarters. And they've got it on this huge base, and they're going to pivot it to do some more tests. But what nobody knew was that when others were out to lunch or whatever it was, somebody had a work order to change the 24 bolts that bolted it down to the platform. They had removed the bolts, but they hadn't had time to... So when they turned the satellite, it crashed down. That, you know, it wasn't too bad. It was only another $135 million in repair. Because why? Not connected to its base. Can I ask you right now, in all seriousness, are you connect, have you been connected to your, to your Lord this week? Have you been in His Word? Have you been praying? Are you, are you solidly connected to Christ right now? Have you been walking with Him? You see, if you don't do that, you can get into bad situations. God will set up roadblocks. God in His grace might put roadblocks like, you know, you can't go to war with us to keep you from real destruction. But here's what you need to remember. You need to remember that when God is giving you those moments in grace, even if he is deterring you and he is disciplining you, respond ASAP. Because this is the truism. All God's people will find forgiveness and fellowship when they return to the Lord. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What grace of God to forgive David. Did David deserve it? Did David do something that merited it? It was the grace of God. Do you remember when we were kids and we didn't have all those games to play? Electronic, we had to play with cans and strings. Okay. Well, I was advanced from the cans and strings. I was of that age group that had really fascinating toys like the Etch-A-Sketch. Do you remember those? You could draw on them, do all kinds of things. And what was the beauty of it? You just had to turn it upside down and shake it. And what happened? All of a sudden it's there. Or you get those cheap ones for your kids. You know, the ones that are on the pads. They write on them and what do they have to do to erase what they did? Just lift it up. That's God's grace. When you confess, your sins and your iniquities will I Remember no more. I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's grace. That's good. That's exciting that God would forgive us when we turn to him. Now, why God forgave him? This is the answer. 
The righteous fall seven times, but they rise up. That's why David's called a righteous man. Because when he collapsed, he came to a point where he got back up. He turned back to the Lord. If that's you, you need to turn to the Lord this day. You need to repent, turn back, and get close to the Lord so you can write this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals our diseases. Ah, he crowns us with loving kindness. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are so forgiving and gracious when when we get into folly and goofy stuff. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the way that you have warned us through David's life the way that you will give forgiveness to any who would respond. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the clarity of putting into your word the dangers, the warnings, the possibilities, the battles, the struggles of a man after your own heart. Help us to take heed and to get the help we need in response. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and here you are this morning. You say... I'm walking the path of David. I've got to change. Well, won't you change today? You're here this morning and you say, I, I, just, I just don't even know as far as my, my relationship if I'm on my way to heaven. We want to help you. I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm going to stay here at the front. And if you need help, you need some counsel, come and see me and I'll get somebody to pray with you, to talk with you. Don't leave this day without knowing for sure you're on your way to heaven. You who are watching online, call us. Send us an email. We'll get back to you ASAP. Don't, don't walk away without having your relationship with Christ sure and clean. Father, thank you for these folk. Thank you for their good spirit, their sweet singing. Thank you for what ministry they're going to do here this afternoon and this evening. And God bless us for it. Again, thank you for your word. Give us a great day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.